Hi everyone, welcome to Training with Casey, where we explore animal training and living our best lives with animals. I'm Joseph Laughlin, producer of this podcast, and now here's your host, Casey Covert. Let's get started. Hi everyone, it's Casey Cover, your host on Training with Casey. And thank you, Joseph, for the introduction. And thank you, everyone, for coming to share part of your evening with us tonight. And I'm here again with my friend and colleague and fellow SATS trainer, Angela Monteith. And Angela did something that I really love to see. She took her SATS training and figured out how to apply it to solve one of the problems that many trainers are not necessarily able to get to to solve. And that's the problem of teaching animals to cope with thunder, gunshots, fireworks, all that. And initially I thought you had a class, Angela, and um, but tell us about what you do do to help your local clients deal with this thorny problem. Yeah, so if I have a local client who's got a dog struggling with thunderstorms, fireworks, honestly, any kind of noise phobia in general, um, we do private lessons and I teach them conditioned relaxation and name and explain and if then statements <laughs> and cycles <laughs> and bridging of course so um i i just worked with a couple tonight that their young dog that they have um she's she's terrified of thunderstorms and fireworks she also we could say she's a little hyperactive. Okay. So <laughs> conditioned relaxation was on the docket for today. And so she did fantastic with her first lesson on conditioned relaxation. And I explained to them what to do over the weekend with the fireworks, given the closeness to the fireworks, you yeah. know, I, I managed their expectations because even with my own dog, it wasn't an overnight miracle. Yeah. It was, you know, a few weeks. And then we had a few weeks, I should say, to work on conditioned relaxation and name and explain ahead of time. But when we got into the nitty gritty of the fireworks and I didn't have control over when they were going off, right. it, it took it took a lot of work. And, and I was honest with my clients tonight, the first night we worked on the fireworks with Kona. Um, she was panting and trembling and standing and I was working her and working her and working her and we got pretty much nowhere and the fireworks stopped. So, well, I guess we're done for today. <laughs> yeah. Right. So the next day when we got to work on it, um, we probably only had 10 or 15 minutes before it got quiet in the neighborhood. And she at least went from standing and trembling and panting to sitting and trembling and panting. And I, I'm not going to lie. I was a little disheartened. <laughs> like, I want to fix this now. But progress, any progress is still progress. And even on that right. first night, even though... It didn't look to me like she made progress. Something happened in her brain. I'm sure of it. It had to have. 
So third night rolls around and people are literally setting off mortars right across the street from <laughs> our house. And we were, we're in a small subdivision with small lots. These houses were pretty close together. So when I tell you it shook the house, believe me, it shook the house. So I worked with Kona for maybe five minutes before she flat out on the floor side and nearly fell asleep. And the mortars were still going off. Yeah. She even kind of opened her eyes and picked her head up for a moment to look out the window. And I said, yep, that's fireworks. There's some mortar going off. We're fine. You're safe. And she just looked at me. And then, and then I could say, hey, do you want to chew your bone? And she jumped up like that was the best idea on the planet. And that's what she did. And that's Where only what I've been trying. Yeah. I'd been trying to get her to do that for six years. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, like that would be relevant and it just wasn't relevant to her before. Right. That's exactly right. And all I can say is that the motivator for me was not solving problems for me. Yeah. The motivator was solving problems for her. It crushed me to see her suffer and struggle year after year, holiday after holiday. Cause you know, we don't shoot off fireworks for just one holiday. This just happens to be the loudest one. Yeah. Right. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. And and it's other things too. And, and you, sure. you identified a really critical thing. This particular thing that I cover in the one, two, three, four boom class is for noises that are extreme that we cannot control. So we have the standard perception modification protocols to teach animals about all those things in life that trigger them. And they do very well with it, but this has a particular twist. And it is harder, but here is something that we can investigate a little bit tonight because I actually do normally get results in a single session. And I think I may even be on to the critical difference, the difference that makes the difference. Because when you went over the tools, you listed um, four excellent tools that we use for all the perception modification. But there is one that you didn't list. And so I, I want to run over it with you because you still are going to go see this other dog again. I am. I would be very interested to find out if this changes your and her experience. So what this is, and we didn't emphasize it as strongly when you were coming through. And now um, it is the number four tool. So on pers- on the um, class that I give now, we have bridges, targets, uh, name and explain, and abrupt changes that have lub-dub timing relative to the actual thunder or the fireworks. 
So if this is sounding new to you, it's because I probably, you know how I keep working on all this stuff. Of course. I probably developed it afterwards. So what it looks like, it can be really simple. But what it looks like is at the instant that you hear the thunder or the firework, you bridge it, name it, and turn and go in a different direction. So you've got the dog on a lead and you tell it ahead of time, you know, the name and explain. Um, If we hear thunder, we're going to run in that or we're going to go in that direction. If we hear fireworks, if we see fireworks, we're going to change direction. And then every time we hear it, we go, good, and go off in that direction. So I love this. I love this because you're having such success and you're actually offering this to your clients, which is priceless. But if we can then, this is a real opportunity to test this one tool. Yeah. Because you've been successfully applying all the other tools and helping people. But the one difference is the amount of time that it takes. So report back. I will. And I love things that speed things up. Oh, yeah. Because we're up against the clock with this one. Yeah. And your time is money. For sure. Uh, One of the things that always interests me about trainers is we often do not calculate our true costs. Like I'll ask trainers, um, how much does it cost you to train a dog to do such and such? How much time, how many materials, all that kind of stuff. Often trainers don't really have a clear idea. They don't know how much time it takes them. They don't, they've never calculated, you know, what the actual cost is. And I know my vet has it down to the nth degree because they not only have a barn call cost, but they have an emergency barn call cost that they add to that. And they have, you know, they've itemized, monetized every single thing down to the number of, you know, like they might give you some gauze or something like that. But if you have to get band-aids or any kind of medication or anything, it's all itemized and added up. And I think we all need to do this. It doesn't mean we need to, um, you know, uh, nickel and dime our clients. But when we're setting up our prices, it's good to know how much it really costs. So when you get done, when you ter- when you actually go try this latest thing, try to estimate how long it has been taking. Like you said, three days for Kona mm-hmm. versus one. And then if you get those results with this other dog, estimate what it would cost you for the three days of training and what it costs for the one day. And that would be very interesting. Now I wanted to, first of all, I cannot tell you enough how just excited and pleased I am 
that you turned around and applied these principles of training to make a really valuable product for your clients and to help them. That's what we're all about. We need experts like you out there helping people because let's face it, not everybody wants to learn how to do sex. Yeah. I don't understand why not. (laughs) Neither do I. When you think back, did you find what did you find the most challenging about learning to train this way? Does it jump out of your memory of what was, did, was it just a natural fit for you? I think it honestly was. It, And I had the perfect dog in my possession, my own dog mm-hmm. to practice on. And this is a dog that stood with me throughout you know, the beginning evolution of my training career. And yet six years in, I still hadn't been able to solve this thunderstorm and firework and barking at every bird on the planet problem. Like there was more (laughs) for her than just the, (laughs) just the thunderstorms and fireworks, you know, but everything I had learned up to that point I mean, she was great at obedience. She was fantastic at obedience. Even in the worst adrenaline dopamine dump on the planet, she could still sit if I told her to sit, which is part of what made her extra challenging. Yeah. (laughs) And I was warned by Chad Mackin about that being the very case with her. Um, So yeah, I, anyways, I had the perfect dog and I got to see the transformation and I know what went into her beforehand. Yeah. So I know what didn't work. Right. All the training that did work, all the training that didn't work. And the fact that she had six years of duration, I think this is so important to stress with clients because Michelle Bobrowski, another fantastic trainer and a certified sats trainer, she um, rescued, she, you know, went and adopted an 18 month old Malinois female who had lived in a kennel, like a breeding kennel situation for her first 18 months. And she was very, very easily aroused and way too aroused by the children. So she was unsafe to have around the children, period. And when she was eight years old, Michelle and I crossed paths. So she had six full years, not unlike Kona, of practicing this very difficult, damaging, limiting behavior. Because Michelle couldn't even let her out of her crate in the house. So... Michelle was newly learning also, and within a month, her dog and her son ended up back to back. Her son just came over and sat down and started playing right next to her dog. Michelle was working with the dog at the time, and she just told Jazz, you know, if you can stay easy, you know, Isaiah can stay there. And she did. And that's when Michelle was just a baby in this. 
And since then, now uh, jazz is completely integrated into the family, the extended family. She's gone to hotels with them. You know, it's just, I, I guess the important thing is even when there are long, thorny habits, these dogs with your guidance are able to reclaim and recreate their lives. Mm-hmm. That is really amazing. It is. So I love the fact that you have also formatted things for your particular clientele. And initially I thought you had a class and then you explained you don't have a class. And I think your reasoning is really relevant for people. Could you describe how you developed the product you developed? Um, I, uh, admittedly, I do have two products, but I primarily do private in-home training. That is my number one thing. And I do that because I never know which dogs are going to need conditioned relaxation. Mm. And now my personal opinion on that is that all dogs would benefit from it. Yeah. But then there's dogs you see that you're like, oh boy, that one needs it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like so. Like they cannot go to step B until they fix this. Right. Some of the other relaxation things that I teach are great for the milder dogs and work fine. And those people don't end up needing the very specific conditioned relaxation part of it. But all of my clients get bridging and name and explain and if then statements and cycles. All of them do. Yeah. Um, so the reason that I prefer starting people with private lessons is because my personal thoughts are that group classes are more of an advanced training course. When you are in a group class, the people are going to be distracted by their own dog, by each other, and by each other's dogs, and so are the dogs. It is inevitable that those distractions are going to happen. And what we teach here is very information heavy. It's very information heavy. And I need my people to have good memory retention. And they're not getting that out of a group class. Yeah. So I do private lessons, including virtual lessons with text support in between lessons. But I have also developed a pretty comprehensive online training program that people can just purchase outright. It does not include conditioned relaxation because I haven't had a great opportunity to record that (laughs) in a way that's easy for people to follow and understand. So I just, I don't have a way of including that in my program right now. Took me many, many years to decide how to communicate. I think we've got it down now, but it's not a simple subject. It's not a simple subject. And then I need to have the right people and the right dog that I'm working with because um, no offense to your clients, you get a question in your head and then you interrupt and you ask, which throws me off of my train of thought, which interrupts the original thought, which interrupts your memory retention. I need you to be quiet and listen. (laughs) So I really need the right people as well as the right dog to be able to get that recorded correctly in, in an efficient and useful way. 
I find it challenging. It's easier for me hands-on. So right now, that's what I still do for the conditioned relaxation portion. It's been a there, long day. There's another thing about uh, training, teaching training online, and that is that it has some serious liability risk to it. Um, yeah. It was explained to me by a policeman when I forget what the situation was, but my car was stopped and I just waved the guy around like, you know, I'm stopped and can't go. And the policeman said, I know you're just trying to be conscientious, but never, never, you know, like gesture to direct somebody else. Because if he crashes into a car, you can be sued because you told him it was okay. And it's similar in online teaching. So, you know, it's kind of like if you go into manufacturing, you don't realize that if somebody gets sick from the thing you sell, they could come after you mm-hmm. and everything you own. is like, wow. So there are workarounds for all this stuff, but it is an important thing. Like you said, um, people are distracted. They don't remember everything. I tend to video every, all my interactions with clients. And I remember one in particular where this person brought a dog and it sounded like she was ready to get rid of the dog. We worked with the dog. The dog did beautifully. The owner found the dog impossible to put in a crate. He went right in the crate. He did all this stuff. Then we focused on the owner for a while and she was supposed to bring him back the next week for another lesson. So she came back the next week for another lesson without the dog. Hmm. Now, mind you, after the first lesson, she was so like blown away by what we got done that she asked me to come do teaching for her in on an online thing. She comes back without the dog and announces that I had stressed her dog. I had stressed her dog so much that he wouldn't even eat from her when she went home. So I said, all right, let's take a look at the video so we can see where this happened. Because I sure don't want to do that to your poor dog. But as we watched all the video, it became clear that the dog wasn't stressed at all. The dog was doing great. Everybody was saying during the session how great the dog was doing. And the person was actually very frustrated to see that. And you might not be surprised to learn that that's the last I ever spoke to them. <laughs> but it, it's it just totally baffled me because it seemed like things were just turning around so beautifully for her and her dog that all these things that had been unattainable all of a sudden were working and there was a prospect to doing even more in a short amount of time. But you you never know what's happening. So I've kind of taken us a little bit of field here, but I'll, I'll just tell you one more thing before we get back on track. And what that one thing was, is I was reading about people that sue doctors for malpractice. And it turns out that the majority of malpractice suits had very little to do with the medical practice, 
and much more to do with the doctor's uh, client relationship. And that a lot of the times the suits weren't over malpractice. They were on things like, uh, you know, they didn't return my call or they looked at me such and such a way, like things that, you know, you wouldn't even expect to affect anybody, much less to incite them to try to take somebody to court. So, yeah, I, I videotape client stuff for all the reasons. And um, anyway, we'll have to talk about that more another time because there's lots of pros and cons for that. And we can talk about that. Sure. Anyway, so back to you. I know I just really totally interrupted your thoughts (laughs) Hmm, in a way that only I can do it like that. I don't remember you. So we were talking about um, you need the clients to kind of keep their questions till the end. It is helpful. Yeah. And to just pay attention because you've already figured this stuff out. You know, they're going to have questions and you will try to answer everything. Yeah. So it doesn't help to jump the gun and try to get the question. The curiosity is not necessarily in the logical place. Right. What do you find the most challenging about working with people with this information? Do you find they're mentally resistant or there's just a lot of information or What's the easiest thing about it and what's the hardest thing? I think the easiest thing about it for everyone is name and explain 100%. I just tell people, talk to your dog like it's a toddler and you're teaching it about everything in the world. Just treat your dog like a toddler in that manner and it'll help a lot. They love that. Love it. And the hardest thing, I think for most of them, is accepting bridging because I know it sounds weird and it feels weird, but just do it because it works. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I was reminding tonight's clients about what bridging sounded like. And as soon as I started bridging, their dog left the window and came to me exactly. and I said, see, it just works. So do it. <laughs> Even before you train the dog. Yeah. Because SATS trainer Sylvia Malevska posted a video of a dog that had been untouchable. And then she starts, you know, touching the dog and bridging it with feedback. And the dog collapsed on her lap and her owner was in tears. And Sylvia was a professional flute player. And so I think I'm fast at bridging. She's probably twice as fast as me. And all these friends of Sylvia that tuned in to see this little piece of video were writing, oh my goodness, as soon as my dog heard the bridging, he stood up, started wagging his tail. Now he's standing over here, like not once, not twice, but over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. And once I was in the UK and I gave a presentation at the lab of Dr. Daniel Mills and he has a whole group of loyal people that uh, train with him. But of course, none of these people or their dogs had ever 
you know, known even uh, probably about the intermediate bridge and they certainly hadn't conditioned their dogs. So I was just demonstrating what it sounded like and what it looked like. And all the dogs come and stand in front of me, wagging their tails to the disconcertion of their owners. It's like, what? But it is a thing. Now, since we talked last, I don't know if you knew this. Did you know that another sets trainer, Denny Samard, is a sound engineer and he went and measured the speed of the intermediate bridge as I use it. Had you heard that? No. So the speed was 7.82 to 7.83 beats per second. Wouldn't you think it would be just eight beats per second? You would think. So all of a sudden, another trainer, um, Julie Alexander pipes up and she says, that is the Schumann resonance. Mm -hmm. You already knew that. Mm -hmm. Hmm. We're a strange group. We are. Mm -hmm. Because I knew about it too. So she taught me about it. Okay. So did you know that NASA proved its existence? No, I didn't know that. You don't know longer. It's no longer a myth. It is proven. Yes. Yes, okay. yes, yes. I'll have to find the article and send it to you. Oh, you must. You really As soon must. as I saw it, I was like, oh, how about that? <laughs> the dogs yep. knew all along, so. Yeah. Yeah, it's just wild. So, guys, read up about the Schumann Resonance if you want to know what it is. It is a mystery, and it will give you skin chills, and we already do it. And you know what else I noticed? Um, you know how they say if babies listen to Mozart, it improves their mathematical ability, things like that. Just notice one time, like start bridging to that music and look at the speed. Yeah. Yeah. We're on to something. Yep. So. So you, you've got these clients and you said the easiest thing was the name explained and the hardest thing was the bridging because nobody wants to look silly, but it is so freaking effective. And it also gives the animal triangulation. So if the name and explain gives him the information, but he's not quite confident that he really understood what you were trying to say or what you were asking him to do. Now, when you give him that bridge, that gives him the certifying feedback that, yes, you were correct. Good, 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 good. Mm-hmm. That right along the road. And if he ever makes an error, he's within an eighth of a second of being successful. So he can easily correct himself. Yeah. So we get virtually errorless training, which does not mean, you know, some people have correctly pointed out that animals need to encounter adversity during training also. But I would say teach without adversity at first. And then during your proofing period, 
then increase the challenges that the animal has to navigate in order to complete the behavior. That's exactly why I start in private lessons. Exactly. And I love your assessment of that because you're absolutely right on. Let's talk just a minute about what is more difficult in, you, you covered it a little bit, but in a class, do you have more people, more dogs, strange situation, strange uh, context and environment, all those dog smells from all the dogs that were ever there, Mm-hmm. They have to travel there. They're more tired. It just goes on and on. And you can't control everything. Nope. You can't control what every other dog is going to do when they're going to suddenly start to bark. You know, if somebody gets sick, if somebody else comes and knocks on the door and creates a distraction. Or if we're in a park and we get charged by an off-leash dog. Oh, that's a really, yeah, that's an important one. It's happened. Yeah, that's not good. I handled it. It's fine. Everyone was safe. Yeah. Uh-huh. So you're doing this training in private sessions, and we now have added one more ingredient. So you're going to report back how that affects things, if it does at all, and in what direction. And you still have a few days before, well, actually, who knows, because did did I already tell you about Sarah seeing fireworks last night? Um, I heard it on a podcast that you did. Okay. So, yeah, that's right. The one that we just put up. So I almost said, yeah, but no, I listened to that podcast this morning. So here I'm confused because I'm like, did I tell you twice? So basically that was one session learning and she had already learned about thunderstorms. So we're just adding fireworks and you would think in 29 years together, we would have already encountered fireworks together, but we had not. But it was just so interesting because she went from being, whoa, what was that? To interested like she's watching them looking horses, their best detail vision is at the end of her nose. And so she puts her head up like this and she's just like watching it. And it was really, yeah. Yeah. It's so great to take something that, (coughs) excuse me, could be life-threatening because it, it frightens the animal so much that they could run into a fence or, you know, get sick or injure themselves or something like that and turn it into a wonderful kind of mysterious experience that you can just share together. Mm -hmm. Well, Angela, I am so delighted that you are um, providing this help, leadership and guidance to your clients. Thank you. And I look forward to talking about it more in the future. Is there anything else you wanted to add before we um, close shop today? I I didn't take notes today, so I'm not real sure. I I think I got through everything. Oh, I know one thing I wanted to add, and that's what you said. You thought every animal needed this, 
but some there's no question they need it now. Yeah. And what I found teaching seminars is that even well-trained dogs, they still benefit from it. Well, in a seminar setting, it's like um, a class on speed because you have the people are so, yeah, they're the ones trying to learn and the dogs are there to like practice with them, but we're not trying to train the dogs. We're trying to train the people, but it's so much change and the dogs and the people are overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. And when we started requiring them to do perception modification first, everything changed. I bet it did. All, yeah. All of a sudden when they came in to do the bridge and target classes, they were ready to go. And the second thing is my last zoo animal, Selkie, my beloved gray seal, um, died on November uh, 10th, 2016, I believe. It was right around then at least. And she was 43 years old. Wow. And my sea lions at the National Zoo had an expected lifespan of 20 years. They lived to be 27 and the other one was 29 or 31 or something in there. And the gray seal longevity record for males was 33 years. My male lived to be 38. My female lived to be 43. My monkey with a predicted lifespan of 20 to 25 years lived to be 32. Same thing with our conure. My German shepherd died just short of his 16th birthday etc cetera, etc cetera. it's not a one time thing sarah yeah. just celebrated her 32nd birthday that's incredible she, it, it's like horses have lived longer and i told her that one had lived to be 61 and we just have to make sure the next 30 years is as good as the first 30 years but yeah she's she's right up there mm -hmm. right now and she's doing beautifully and um, I'm just so grateful she's still there. And I absolutely believe that this perception modification training is the foundation for good health and a successful, happy, safe, long life. I agree 100%. I, with Kona, I said to her when I realized how crazy, madly in love with her, I was, <laughs> I said, you know, understanding all the research that I did about Weimar honors before I got one, I said, if you make it to 12, I'll be satisfied. Yeah. Like, please set your goals. That just, you're just make it to 12. She said, cool. How about 14 and a half? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I'll take it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And not only that, she was a dog that we know was very sensitive. Yeah. Oh, you know? yeah. And how did you, how did you obtain her? We got her as a puppy. Yeah, she was an amazing girl. She was. And I was less educated when we chose our breeder and. I'll say she was probably one of the more responsible backyard breeders, but she was a backyard breeder. 
Yeah. So for that dog to make it to 14 and a half, like, yeah, that's pretty good. (laughs) Yeah. And I I don't think anybody has to apologize for having a so-called backyard breeder. Nah. Um, They, they were smart about it and they were breeding for temperament. Yeah. So, you know, I, I couldn't complain and she was fantastic. She never blew a tendon or anything. She never broke a bone and she died from heart failure because she was old. Yeah. Well, I don't want to say that was a good thing, but yeah, it's a good thing. <laughs> you know, that's a good, but it wasn't, it wasn't cancer. Yeah, right? exactly. It's not autoimmune. Right. She was mediated. very, very healthy right up until the end. Aside from her arthritis, but as hard as she ran as a young dog, like she was going to get it. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. But she was a healthy dog. Well, bless her, sending her vibes <laughs> up in the sky and her. blessing that she was part of our pathway to all of us, but in you in particular. I want to thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's really such fun. I really enjoyed our last podcast. I'm Me so too. glad we could do this one. And everybody, please share this podcast. Get this word out. If you're in the Milwaukee area, right? You're in, no, you're not. Muskegon, Muskegon, Michigan. Muskegon. Yeah. We're straight can... across the lake almost from Milwaukee. <laughs> I'm going to say that's why I was confused, even though I have no oh. idea where each of them is relative to the other we have a ferry that goes from muskegon to milwaukee so lucky guess yep (laughs) so you can you can connect with angela her website is the empowered dog and you can find it empowered dog is it llc.com or empowereddog.com just empowereddog.com and her facebook page amazingly enough is also the empowered dog so i know it's tricky go ahead and look her up angela is a fantastic storyteller and um i read part of her post about kona with the um fireworks experience in the podcast on our one two three four boom class so guys you can also learn directly from me Um, You can access that podcast, buy it, own it forever, and teach your dogs. Excuse me. How to cope with these things. It'll get you started on a good tradition. Okay, guys, thank you very much. Hey, fans, are you enjoying training with Casey? Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Casey Covert on YouTube. That is youtube.com forward slash C slash Casey Covert. Also, give the podcast a like, share, and comment. Thanks for joining us. Come back for more news and views on animal training and living with animals. Stay at the top of the pack with Casey. This is Joseph Laughlin, producer of Training with Casey. See you next time.